You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Chelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Good to be together. As I said at the beginning, um, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's, it is 50 days after we celebrate uh, Jesus' resurrection. We are celebrating the um, coming of the Spirit on the early disciples as they formed the, the early church. And we, as a congregation, we've also been following along the narrative lectionary, uh, which has us in the book of Philippians. In a let, it's a letter to the, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. It came later, after uh, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. But it's a fitting text because Paul, in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul describes what life looks like in the Spirit, what it looks like for the Spirit to be alive in the church So that seems like a good way to mark Pentecost together. Instead of going into the story of how the Spirit came, which you can find in Acts chapter 2, we're going to focus on what it looks like to have the Spirit of Jesus alive in a community. We did just finish several weeks ago in the Gospel of John, and John records... uh, his own version of Pentecost, he, he writes about when Jesus uh, appeared to the disciples who had been waiting in the upper room in fear, in unknown of what was ahead. He had told them while he was with them, he told them that he would send an advocate who would, who would teach him all the things that, he, that Jesus himself had been trying to teach them. So John's version of Pentecost is a little different than what Luke records in Acts, Um, but he describes how Jesus appeared through the locked doors, showed them his body and his scars, and he breathes on them, and they receive his spirit. He gave them his spirit to go into into the world to make disciples, to share the good news. So they have the spirit to continually remind them about Jesus and his way. And when we talk about the spirit, we're, we're speaking about the spirit of Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh, in human form, to show us who God is. And Jesus' spirit is also a manifestation of God at work in us personally and collectively as the church. When the early disciples received this spirit, they formed this radical community. They started sharing things in common. They had meals together. They met one another's needs. Um, It was such a radical um, demonstration of love that people were drawn to them from all different groups and ethnicities and socioeconomic status. So we're going to look at this text in Philippians 
as an example of what Paul is, is describing. What does this look like now as the Spirit is at work in the church? And just for some context from last week when we, where we started, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He has a capital sentence over him. He writes about his own death, probably knowing it could be imminent. He is urging the believers with what he thinks is most important for them to know. He's reminding this church in Philippi that they have the spirit of Jesus. They have what they need. And he's talking about what the spirit um, enables them to do by looking at who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Just a reminder that Paul is writing to a community. It's easy to read his letters and hear the you as like an individual you, but he's writing to a community and he's describing the characteristics of a community that is drawn together in Christ. If you want to read with me, the text is linked on the website. It's Philippians 2.1. If then there's any comfort in Christ any consolation from love, any partnership in the spirit, any tenderness, tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one, of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the new revised uh, version, but the, the NIV says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, Paul, Paul, he's, Paul's describing this because he himself has experienced this. He puts himself right in the middle of this, this if-then sentence. He's saying, if you have these things with one another, if you've ever experienced this, then be of the same mind. This isn't some abstract idea. He... he He's putting himself right in the middle because it's very personal for him. Even though he's physically away from them, his relationship with them brings, brings him in common with them through Christ. He is consoled by their love for him. He feels tender affection for them. He is longing uh, and feels compassion for them. And that's, that's why he's writing he says, if you've experienced any of that with each other, then make my joy complete. I'm a part of this with you. Be of the same mind, have the same love, being full accord and of one mind. This description of the church um, might bring up some suspicion for us. So let's just name that. Being like-minded in a group of people um, who are agreeing with each other all the time, um, 
might be a little um, um, unrealistic. He's not talking about just glossing over their differences. Um, if you've ever tried to decide in a group, decide even what movie to watch or what ice cream to buy, you know it's hard to come to one mind about anything. Um, he's, so he's not talking to them about just um, thinking the same things or glossing over their differences. He's also not writing to a community that has one like charismatic leader where everyone just falls in line behind them in order to be united. If, if you were here with us last week and you remember, he, Paul addresses this letter at the very beginning by saying he's writing to all the saints together with the overseers and the deacons. He's naming these people who are leaders, but he's saying you're all together. And that's the only time he references them, the, the overseers and the deacons. He's speaking to the leaders and the saints as one body. He says, consider others better than yourselves. It's, it's not about another, another uh, I guess, qualifier, is that he's not talking about making yourself smaller than you are. Making yourself s small is, I think, a manifestation of the brokenness of humanity uh, when people are forced to make themselves smaller than they really are. This happens in all kinds of power dynamics in our world and through cultural norms. He's talking about having the same attitude or a way to orient towards the world. They, they have fundamental um, principles that guide the character of their community. That's what he's speaking to. He says, have the same love and he describes it by saying, in humility, regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. I grew up in Lancaster County, and um, I, we were just there yesterday for a soccer tournament. And my daughter and I were reflecting on how many times our interactions in public and in our family sometimes were characterized by an apology. Everybody says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry this, I'm sorry that. It is, it is ingrained in my uh, family culture, in a sense, to make yourself smaller or to take responsibility for everything, even when it was not situations that um, anyone should have to take responsibility for. <laughs> the posture was apology. Um, so it's just worth noting that that kind of niceness, maybe superficial niceness or humility is not what Paul's talking about. Um, this idea of thinking of others better than yourself, Paul is writing in the context of kind of assuming that sinfulness and um, hubris or pride is, are the same thing. They're, they're like the basic sinful nature of humanity. That's not true for everyone all the time. Um, but he's, he's speaking to this um, 
pattern in the world because what he wants them to do is to lift other people up to the best that they can be. This is a shift from like any kind of competitive mindset to uh, a mindset where everyone is lifted up, not made smaller. As the parent of an eighth grader who just went through a high, the high school um, application process in Philadelphia, I was thinking about how inequitable and competitive high schools are in Philadelphia, um, or at least have, have been. And it effectively works, the application process has effectively worked to weed out students for the most competitive schools. But this year, they changed the application process for special admit schools to a lottery so that anyone could get in. Instead of weeding people out through layers of requirements, it's a step towards equalizing the process. Anyway, it's just one example of um, this idea that Paul's working with. He's very concerned with lifting up the weakest, equalizing the relationships in the community by upending social norms. The community of Jesus followers must counter societal patterns that viewed and treated people as weaker and stronger so that everyone can live essentially at their full strength, their, their truest selves. And he's saying you can live this way by having the attitude of Christ Jesus. And Paul offers this beautiful poetic description of what that means. Some scholars think that he's quoting um, or adapting a creed that was already written and others think that he wrote it himself. But either way, it's, it's often referred to as the Christ hymn. So I want to read it to you, and then we'll talk about it. Let the same mind, this is Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who... Though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first half of this um, hymn is in like a downward direction. Jesus, who was equal with God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. I had to sit with this for a while to consider what this even means. But when I think about 
uh, what is attributed to God. I think about power, I think about glory and praise and honor. And Jesus didn't consider all of those things something that he needed to hold on to. He didn't use the power of God to protect himself from suffering or to gather glory or to seek praise or hold on to power. He gave that up. He poured it out. He let it all go to empty himself to become a human. And that process was a humbling that he he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus' execution was an execution by the state for a crime that he didn't commit in the most painful way possible. He, he literally lived and died as a human in the, in the worst way possible. Jesus knows what it is like to be human in the most painful and degrading way. He didn't hold on to his power or his ability to protect himself from suffering. He gave that up to experience what we experience. And the cross his, his movement towards the cross is the center of this hymn, and it, it's the center of our faith, too. Because Jesus took all of our humanness on, because he emptied himself, humbled himself in this way, God exalted him. His action to humble himself, empty himself, to not hold on to power and glory. Oh, excuse me, brought glory to God. His, his action to do that brought glory to God. His, his name is above every other name. All the worldly powers are beneath him. Paul says he was exalted and raised up to rule over all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This movement is a different kind of power. This self-emptying power of humility and obedience of Christ is salvation. It is the way. It's not the way of the world. And, and the early church will need help to live in this way of Jesus. This spirit that Jesus promised them was given to them so that they could be together and they would keep working out their salvation. He goes on to say that in the rest of chapter two, to work out their salvation under the empire that they're living in with fear and trembling. But they have the spirit to empower them to live in this completely radical way following the example of Christ. So as the church in contemporary life, um, we have to keep working it out too. We can't live as a, a community characterized by humility and self-giving love on our own. 
We need the spirit of Jesus. For those of us whom the world privileges more, we will need to give up that privilege. Society will um, inauthentically exalt some people over others. We need to figure that out and self-empty. For others, you may not have something to give up, but to claim in the spirit in order to have your own dignity that God has bestowed upon you. We will all need to keep in mind the relative positions of power in the world and how it works here in order to follow Christ in this completely upside down way. But it isn't just about individual action or individual um, salvation. Paul's letter is to a community, for, about a communal way. We're trying to work this out together as a demonstration of Christ's love to those around us. That's, that's why we went through a four-month period of um, discernment for our mapping process by centering the voices of those who have been marginalized in, in the church, in our church, and in society. And then using their voices as the uh, lens through which we discern how the Spirit's leading us. And we will keep reforming and evaluating and asking questions. That's, that's part of our goals over this next year. Um, but in the spirit of Paul's letter, we, we, our bodies need to be with each other, with those who are positioned differently so that we can form authentic community together and work this out, this movement that Paul's talking about. So again, going back to where we started, if we are to have the mind of Christ Jesus, the spirit of God that is poured out in Pentecost, we will not insulate ourselves as a community from suffering. We will not gather glory for ourselves or seek praise. We will not hold on to power, power that the world gives. We will give it up, not grasping for our own but working for the good of all. This takes discernment over time. How do we humble ourselves together? <laughs> Lifting up those who need to be lifted up and lowering those who have been, have been um, lifted by the world in ways that make us sick. Doing this process will continue to collectively connect us with our humanity, to be the fullest and truest selves as the body of Christ. That's part of our healing and salvation that Jesus offers. And doing this together exalts God. It brings glory to God. It speaks and witnesses to who Jesus is in the world. When Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to himself. 
Jamar Tisby is an author of um, How to Fight Racism, and we've been reading and praying through his book this week on the Circle of Hope Daily Prayer blog. If you're not subscribed to that, I recommend it. You can put your email in and get an entry every day and pray together across the whole church. Um, so this week we've been praying through Jamar Tisby's book, How to Fight Racism, and he's, he's um, quoting this passage in Philippians today. So I just wanted to share a quote from his book with you. He says, the, the mindset of the Philippians above uh, that Paul's talking about is the mindset that we must have to pursue racial justice as a way of life and not simply a pastiche of isolated actions. Fighting racism is ultimately about serving one another from a wellspring of love, a spirit of loving service as to be infused with a spirit of humility that puts the interests of others above our own. There's more to that quote, and I recommend the book, the whole book itself. But to do this work and to be this kind of people, we need the spirit of Jesus. And the, the, the gift of Pentecost is that the spirit is given to us. Jesus didn't leave his disciples alone. He doesn't leave us alone to work this out on our own strength or our own capacity. The day of Pentecost came when they were all together praying and waiting for what was promised. Jesus gave them what they needed to face the unknown ahead and to witness to the world about who he is. That's what we've been given to do. And we keep discerning what that looks like and how to do it. There's much unknown ahead for us as a church as we are, have actively begun a process of uh, leaving our denomination. So even with all the unknown ahead, we can lean into the gift of the Spirit, one another, and prayer, trusting that as we keep working this movement out that Paul's talking about, Jesus will be glorified. That's all I have at this moment. So let's just take a moment to breathe and sit with whatever's resonating in you. It could be something I said. It could be something else that's coming up. Take a moment to listen to that, and then there'll be time to talk back. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.